Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Empower App Show. I'm your host, Leo Dion. I'm with Bright Digit. We specialize in app development in the Apple space, whether that be iPhone, iPad, Mac, or Apple Watch, as well as server side. We're going to continue the second part of our discussion with Dave Ver, talking more about Swift packages and his Swift package manager library at swiftpm.co. Before we start that, I wanted to let you know that I am featured in the second episode with Lucas Adara on Responder Chain. It's a new podcast YouTube channel he has set up where he's going over projects that people have done for Mac development. You'll definitely want to check that out. I'll have a link in the show notes. So let's go ahead and take it away with the second part of our interview with Dave Verer. One of the big improvements I've seen with the community and a lot of developer communities have like some sort of dependency management, you know, NPM or Maven or Gems, uh, for instance, or NuGet. And over the years, we've had CocoaPods, which was the big one. And then when Swift came out, we had Carthage. But the big improvement I've seen is like Swift packages, which we've uh, been talking about quite a bit offline. Well, first of all, how do you feel about Swift packages? Do you think it's a big improvement over Carthage or CocoaPods? Or, you know, I was looking through the survey. We have Git submodules actually on there, which I was kind of surprised about. <laughs> but um, yes. how, how? Well, I think, I think there's some people who are just so opposed to any kind of dependency manager that Git submodules seem like the best solution. They're almost certainly not the best solution. Um, I mean, they, they're, they're fine. They work. It, it does work, but it's not a breeze to update or work with Git submodules. No, it is not. No, <laughs> trust me. I know. I'm working with one right now. Oh, really? Oh, uh, yeah. You have my sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, CocoaPods and Carthage have become hugely popular over the last several years. And is Swift Package Manager a step forward? I would say absolutely not. It is, I think, quite clearly inferior to both of those solutions as of right now as of right now yeah Yeah. will it be superior in one day i hope so i i believe it will be but almost it doesn't matter because as a blessed kind of first party dependency manager i think it just automatically will eventually become the standard as long as it doesn't get abandoned which shows no sign of being abandoned whatsoever in fact work is continuing on it regularly it just will become the way that we do dependency manager uh, management but there are some things already that are holding people back from actually adopting it so the first of those was fixed last summer with support for ios applications which you know it's been around for was it 2015, the package manager was first? Yeah, I think it was the year after Swift came out. I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. So it's already been, you know, several years that we had the technology before we could even use it to build an iOS application. And that only came last summer. We still don't have support for binary resources in Swift Package Manager, which is a huge feature that is needed before it's able to replace CocoaPods completely. I remember talking to someone the other day, actually, and they were saying, do you remember back in the early days of iOS, you also couldn't have binary resources in libraries. Um, and so what people would do is they would base 64 encode images 
in source code files so that they could ship an image with their static library. So, you know, there are ways to get around these issues, but it's certainly not, that's not what we should be encouraging people to do. Binary resource support is on its way. Also things like, you know, I I was just actually, uh, so I'm working uh, on a project at the moment, which is uh, a vapor project. I'm doing some work in my spare time on uh, on a bit of a vapor project. And I wanted to integrate SwiftLint with my vapor project. And if you open up package.swift with Xcode, yes, it, it opens up, but there's no support for things like scripts, uh, run, run scripts with, uh, sorry, build scripts with uh, package.swift. So there's a lot of stuff that just needs to be developed in order to get to where we were with Cocobasm Carthage. And so will it be the system eventually? Yes. And I believe in that so much that I built a site that was specific to Swift Package Manager, uh, which is the Swift Package Manager library, which is um, basically a search engine for Swift packages. And it only supports packages that support the Swift Package Manager. So I'm a big believer that it's going to go in that direction. It's just going to take a little while to get there. Yeah, you were talking about binary support and like one of the big projects that unfortunately limits my use for it when I have clients applications is Firebase. Like Firebase is all binaries. And I know they added binary support, at least in the next build for 5.3. So I don't know if that's like a June timeline or what, but like it's definitely going to be there pretty soon. And then, like you said, the build script thing is like a big deal for me because I pretty much I'm stuck running it in terminal. Like when I am doing package development, as you probably know. So like is CocoaPods and Carthage, are those like in the same space as like Objective C where it's like never going to go away, but it will not, it'll slowly kind of dissipate, so to speak. Or how do you think those will go? I think the transition is going to be a little bit rough, actually. Um, CocoaPods and Carthage are so deeply ingrained in a lot of people's applications that they are not going to go away anytime soon. And then you'll have people that as they produce new libraries, they'll only want to support Swift Package. I mean, you see this already. You see, you look at the libraries that are being released today, they don't have PodSpec files, they have package.swift files. And so you've got this situation where you've probably got some libraries that you completely rely on and you're integrating those with CocoaPods. Do you have two dependency managers? I mean, oh, just that's a that's a rough situation. Yeah, and that recent post I did, I showed how to add. It's fairly easy to add a pod spec to a package. It's not a big deal. But I can see there's some people not like really willing to spend the time on it uh, and not wanting to have to support it. So I could totally see that case. And it's another thing that comes back to my previous point of, it's another thing that takes you away from actually building, like, what does the application do? Like, this is just, it's almost like busy work to, that doesn't really push your application forward. You know, it's just, it's just part of what you have to do to build the application. And so I think it's going to be a fairly rough period of transition as Swift Package Manager becomes able to completely replace these other two dependency managers. And then as you kind of, at what point are you able to switch over and that kind of thing? I think there's going to be some challenges there. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think the CocoaPods team kind of sees things on the wall. They don't, I don't get the impression that they're particularly fond of maintaining it uh, and they understand the issues that come with it. But I, I agree, like there's always going to be projects that are still using Older libraries, it's just the way it is. And they're, they're going to be around for a while. Our sponsor this week is Bright Digit. 
BrightDigit is my company, and we specialize in helping businesses build apps for the iPhone, the iPad, the Apple Watch, and the Mac. I've been building apps for iOS for almost 10 years now. We have an opening for new projects. If you are a company who might already have developers but need help building something for any of the Apple platforms, send me an email and let's see what BrightDigit can do for you. Contact me personally at leo at brightdigit.com. That's L-E-O at brightdigit.com. And let's see how I can help you and your business. So let's talk about swiftpm.co, your Swift package website. How does it work? Uh, t- tell us a little bit about the details and how you got it started. So again, it kind of came from this idea of whether I saw this package manager as a, I, I saw it kind of being developed and kind of, I, I predicted that it was going to come to Xcode at some point. Uh, Apple would never announce that it was going to come to Xcode, but it was obvious where it was going. And so obviously as a decentralized uh, dependency manager, there is no, like unlike CocoaPods, where there's a kind of centralized repository of packages intertwined with the package manager itself. Swift package manager is decentralized and there is no kind of global index. And I think that's generally the right way to do it. But that doesn't mean that people don't need a way to find packages. And so I thought, well, I wonder if I can put together a search engine uh, for it. And the first problem of that is that, well, where do you get all the information about packages from people a couple of people had worked on this problem before I decided to to have a crack at it and quite often their solution to that was to do a github query using their kind of graphql yes um, i know what you're talking about yeah and so and that does give you a lot of repositories that have package.swift files. But as you and I have become very aware of in the last couple of weeks, because one of the things you've been helping with is writing a validation script to actually look at when people... So actually, let me roll back a second. The solution I decided to go with in the end was to have an open source JSON file that was just a list of URLs to packages that that should be indexed by my search engine. And I seeded that with a set of packages from CocoaPods, actually. So what I did was I looked at the CocoaPods repository of specs, and I found every CocoaPod that also had a package.swift file. And that was where my initial set of libraries came from. And a fantastic set of libraries they are, let me just say that. <laughs> well, as with everything, it's a, so first of all, it's a community effort. This is an open source data file. And I think we're going to talk about that concept a little bit uh, as we go on. But also, it's already 248 pull requests into that library. So this is not just me. Like, this is very much a, a community effort. But I did seed it with some data. And of course, the data that I seeded it from was from a community effort. I scraped it from the CocoaPods spectrum history, basically, and found CocoaPods that also supported package.swift. But then one person came along who had been working on one of these other solutions that did a GraphQL query, and they kindly donated a whole load of packages from that. And you end up with a large number of packages, but actually a lot of them aren't really packages at all. You know, you might have a package.swift file which is completely empty because somebody decided, oh, I wonder what Swift Package Manager is. I'll make a package.swift file and then never do anything with it. So the work you've been helping with over the last couple of weeks is to help validate that at the source, which is 
as that open source JSON file gets added to, we now, thanks to your work, validate not only the fact that the JSON is valid, but actually it goes and it fetches the package.swift and it passes the contents of package.swift and makes sure that it's got a product in there, either a library or an executable. So there's lots of validation that's going on there now, which I was actually doing on the Swift Package Manager library server as well, but it's better to do that at the source. You know, if, if they don't even get into my database, that's even better. Yeah, and uh, yeah, thank you. If anybody wants to hear the fans on their computer, please clone Dave's library and run that validation on all the packages in that JSON file because, uh, yeah, it's quite intense. But it's, what, let me see how big that file is. Right, so yeah, I added 500 plus files to, or 500 lines to parse the entire list. That was a good experience because I learned a lot about like just writing a simple, well, not simple script, but just a script file for running processes and using the dump package feature to, to check projects or products, I should say, on a Swift package. It was surprising like how many older packages that just weren't maintained and a few other things um, that were really interesting looking through it. So that was a fun project. Thanks for, for letting me contribute to it. No, it's my absolute pleasure. And my thanks go to you for spending the time because you've, I know you've put a lot of work into it. I think one of the things that was kind of interesting when developing that site is what I decided to do when, so after you've got this kind of master list of packages, what my server does is it pulls the entire source code repository for every package. So my server has literally the entire Git history for every package that's getting indexed on the server. And then I even run through and run dump package against every single tagged version of every package.swift file. So you can actually see a history of when package.swift was added to the project and when it supported different versions of Swift and that kind of thing. And, and all that metadata is then being collected by my server and brought into a database. And then the reason I did all those different versions was because, especially at this point in history, it could be that a library maybe supports package.swift on master, but doesn't yet have a stable release that supports package.swift. And so it's not enough to say, does a Git repository support package.swift? That is a more complicated question than just yes or no. Yes, it does, but it's not yet released. Yes, it does, but it doesn't work. Yes, it does, but the stable version still is only CocoaPods and the beta version that's currently in development, that supports package manager. So you end up with this reasonably complex answer to the question, do you support package.swift? And I try and answer that with my site. And eventually that will kind of go away. But I still think this issue will be there because you might have the latest stable release supports Swift 5 and the latest beta release supports Swift 6 and the master branch supports Swift 7 or something like that. You know, there are lots of different aspects to that problem. One thing... I want to say, and maybe you might know the answer to this, but if there's anybody listening that works on the Swift project, if they could give a programmatic API to things like dump package, like I, I wouldn't know how, maybe there's like a Swift package for Swift packages. You know what I mean? Like some sort of a reflection thing because having to run the dump package as a separate process, and I'm sure there's an answer to this. That's like the biggest load on that validation script uh, I found uh, compared to everything else. Because yeah, somebody actually passed me the other day. I have it in a somewhere. 
a little bit of code. I think it was from the package manager source code where it loads in package.swift and it was basically a proof of concept for loading in package.swift without running dump package. Because you're right, that the dump package is definitely something that... That kills it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that kills the whole validation process right now. So, And that's what my server does. My server definitely just runs dump package against everything. But there's an issue with running dump package, a, a security issue. If you open package.swift like, and then kind of manually execute that code inside your process, that's a huge security risk. But also there is actually a security risk with just running dump package because what does dump package do? It opens that package.swift file and basically executes the code in it. And I definitely spent a lot of time thinking about that when I built that Swift Package Manager library site. And the way that I get around it on the server there is I use a, a Unix application called FireJail, which effectively sandboxes a Unix process and you can give it access or not to the file system, to a specific directory on the file system, to the network, to all sorts of stuff. And so when I run dump package on the SwiftPM library server, it's actually running inside that FireJail environment, which is not flawless. I'm sure there are going to be exploits in that that come to light, but given the only thing that server has on it is the Swift Package Manager library, and all of that is based off publicly available data. There's not an enormous amount to protect there, but it's just common sense to not let somebody else's package.swift file... (laughs) You know, if you were to commit a package.swift file that had some malicious code into it, and that package was already being indexed by my server... I'm going to run that code without any human getting involved. <laughs> yeah, as part of the process, as we, uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk offline about refactoring it into a separate Swift package for validation. Hopefully, we can we can use some of that code in there. So, in in some ways, dump package is, is some kind of protection because you can then isolate it to a process. Right, right, and then process will be then like, yeah, like you said, it's isolated within that process object. What do you think are some mistakes? Like, obviously, you're a Ruby developer, so you've run gems before. What are some mistakes that you've seen other dependency communities or dependency tools fall into the trap of, like, for instance, NPM or gem? I know NPM has had issues off and on that you would hope that Swift packages don't run into. Like, for one thing, it's decentralized, which is great, but then people are still going to look for certain packages and that's where swiftpm.co was going to come in. It's going to help people find specific packages that help fill a need or a feature that they're looking for. Yeah. In any kind of centralized index, you are just going to have to like that issue of malicious code is always going to be there. Um, And I think this comes back to actually the fundamental problem with third party code, which is, Every library you introduce into your application is risk. And, well, it's sometimes worth the risk to include in your application because it saves you a lot of time or removes the need to implement an entire feature of your system or whatever it is. But every time you include any kind of package, no matter where it comes from, you're adding somebody else's bugs into your application, somebody else's uh, support for various versions of iOS as we go forward. Uh, if if a package suddenly stops getting uh, updated, what are you going to do? And that's not to say that package managers are bad, but certainly there's no golden solution here. There's no flawless solution. And everything you include, every third-party bit of code is risk. Now, 
that's not to say you shouldn't include third-party code, but that decision comes down to more than just where you find the package. Like that's that's helping you find something that might be useful, but ultimately it's your decision on whether to include that package in your application. I think I just remember a couple of things. Like there was a whole NPM fiasco a few years ago with forgot what the library was, but like F the left Le- left pad. Oh my gosh, you remember that? Left pad, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like, that's what, I mean, I like, great, Microsoft, I guess, is taking over NPM, but, like, that's one of the things about having, like, a decentralized, like, obviously, if GitHub is down, but that that's a whole bigger issue than, than anything, <laughs> than just NPM being down anyway, so who cares? But, I mean, like, yeah, just having to deal with that just seems like an awful challenge. I think one thing where Swift is going in the right direction is that, Swift package authors don't tend to write packages that have a lot of dependencies. People generally keep their dependencies fairly low. Whereas if you look at NPM, the number of dependencies, like you pull in one package with NPM and you'll get maybe 400 packages getting included. Do you think that's the age of Swift packages? Do you think that's Swift as a language? Do you think that's the community? Because I don't see any reason why that couldn't necessarily happen. I don't see any reason why it couldn't happen either. I hope that it doesn't happen. And I think the fact the community hasn't trended that way so far is a good sign that it probably won't trend that way. I think given what's happened with other people, with other environments that have done that and the problems that they face... And the fact that this community hasn't already trended that way is a good sign that we're not going to make that mistake. Like if you look at most Swift packages and CocoaPods, you know, I'm not specifically talking about Swift package manager packages here, just most libraries for Swift, they don't have an enormous number of dependencies. Right. It's usually, they tend to be fairly independent. Like I totally agree with that 100%. The other thought that I had, I'll see if I can find the video, but I went to try Swift a couple of years ago in New York and Felix Krauss of uh, Fastlane gave a really great talk about um, being careful about what kind of dependencies you use and how they can sometimes hijack certain traffic or put up like bad UIs that are, you know, you know, and he essentially, not a honeypot, I can't quite think of the word, but like a proxy server to detect that kind of stuff. And like, that's one thing you have to be afraid of is like making sure that your libraries that you are bringing in are actually uh, doing what they say they're going to do. So yeah, going back to what, to what you said, you just, you don't know what you're bringing in. Anything else you want to talk about, about swiftpm.co? Uh, no, I think that's fine for now. Yeah. If somebody wants to contribute to swiftpm.co, how can they contribute their Swift package? The best way is to go to swiftpm.co, uh, which is the site itself. And there's a link right on the top menu, which is add a package. And that will take you to the GitHub repository um, where you can make a pull request and and, uh, and submit your package. Yeah. Awesome. And we'll provide links in the show notes to that as well. Fabulous. So before we close out, uh, one last thing I wanted to talk about with you was open source data. This seems like something you're passionate about. What, what exactly is it? How would you explain it to other folks? Yeah. So literally what we were just talking about with the pull request into that JSON file. So I've got a couple of projects that use this approach now, and I really like it. So the first time I did this with a site that I run called iOS Dev Directory, 
So the iOS Dev Directory is a site that I built to solve my own problem, but I made it a public site because I thought other people might be able to benefit from it or even maybe use it. And that's certainly happened. So to, to explain briefly what the site is, it's a directory of everybody who is blogging or creating podcasts or YouTube videos or anything like that about iOS or Swift or Mac development or anything like that. And so the reason I wanted that project is because as part of what I do producing the newsletter is I have to read or I'd like to read everything that we that I can possibly read from everybody who's blogging on that subject. And that way I can be aware of what's getting published and I can then pick what I'm interested in and link that in the newsletter. So I had my own list of RSS feeds that I'd been tweaking for years and years, and I decided to effectively open source my OPML file. And so I made a JSON file that had the name of the feed, the person who was responsible for uh, writing it, the URL of the site, the URL of the feed, and the Twitter handle for the person as well. And I put that into a JSON file and I uploaded it to GitHub and I said, if you would like your blog to appear on the iOS dev directory, fork this repository, add your details to the JSON file and make a pull request. And then every time that JSON file gets updated on GitHub, the iOS dev directory site regenerates itself and puts that data live on the website. And I didn't know whether this approach would work initially, but it did. And I really like it. And so it gets rid of a couple of really difficult problems. And the, the first of that is spam. The fact that you have to fork a repository, make a pull request, submit a pull request, first of all, means I don't think I've ever had a spam request into the directory, let alone something actually get into the directory. You know, it's never even got as far as somebody attempting to get spam into it. But even if that did happen, I review every one of those pull requests manually. It comes through as an email to me. It's all like GitHub just handles all of that admin of that whole process of suggesting something for the directory. And I can just hit one button that says, yes, merge pull request, and in it goes, or close pull request, and no, it never happened. And so I just love that. I think that's such a nice solution to that problem of spam. I find it really, really creative. Like, where did you find that use case for Git? Because it's almost like a wiki. Like, you're taking Git and using it like a wiki, and which is absolutely, you know very clever. Like, I really like that. Do you know other developers who do this as well? Like, I know um, Pedro, who runs Cocoa Hub, like, he kind of does that as well, where he does pull requests for different things. Right, yeah. You know, but... I'm not saying that I came up with the idea, because I'm sure I didn't knowingly kind of copy it off anyone else. I just kind of thought, well, I wonder if I could use GitHub to solve this problem, and yes, I can. So I'm sure I'm not the first person to do it. Uh, I'm definitely not claiming that I was first there to do that technique, but it did kind of come from a place of original kind of like, oh, I wonder if I can do that, and yes, it works actually really well. So are you using the iOS dev directory to pull articles for your weekly newsletter? (laughs) Kind of. So basically, the iOS dev directory is a static site that is generated from that JSON file. And part of what gets generated 
in the static site is an OPML file containing all of the feed URLs. And I use a feed reader that can subscribe to OPML files rather than subscribe to individual feeds. So it will monitor OPML files. And if something gets added to an OPML file that's hosted on the internet, it will automatically subscribe me to that RSS feed that's inside the OPML. So all I've told my feed reader is, I would like you to subscribe to everything that's on the iOS dev directory. So as soon as I merge a pull request into that JSON file, my RSS feed reader will then start picking up the blog articles that come through on that RSS feed. And that saves me a lot of overhead and admin. (laughs) And so I love that. So nothing goes automatically into iOS Dev Weekly, but it does feed directly from iOS Dev Directory into my feed reader. And I read everything in my feed reader every week in order to produce iOS Dev Weekly. So that idea of open source data, I think, is very powerful. And the other thing that it really gets rid of is the ownership of of data and not on a fundamental like who owns this data, but just on a practical, like who has the ability to edit something, right? So if you, let's consider a different way that I could have built that site. A more traditional way would have been for me to have a database and for me to have a website that allows people to insert data into that database. And so the first thing you have to do there is you have to let people create user accounts. And then you've got to build a whole load of logic around user accounts, like, for example, password resets, or you leverage, you know, sign in with Facebook or something, which, you know, now you've got two problems. (laughs) (laughs) So, but then... Even more than the actual practicalities of having to write all that code and do all that extra work with the database, you've then got the ability or or the inability to say, well, if I spot a mistake in somebody else's data, I can't edit that data because that record is owned by that user account and I can't just edit any random data. So that issue of who owns which bits of data in the database is a really hard problem to solve. And I still don't think there's a really great solution to that 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 I've ever seen, really. You know, that you can do groups and roles and all sorts of stuff, but it's all very complicated. Whereas if you see a mistake in somebody else's listing on the iOS dev directory, you just submit a pull request. And I can have a look at that pull request and realize that you're not doing anything malicious. You're not changing somebody's blog to be your blog, right? Because that it's right there in the JSON file. And so it solves both the spam issue and also the ownership issue in a beautiful way. And so I really like that approach. And I think there's there's value in that approach. And so when I came to think about doing the Swift Package Manager library, it was fairly obvious the way that I would build that master list, which is let's just do it as open source data. And it's worked really well so far. Yeah, yeah. I agree completely. I really like how... Getting rid of having to have a database is a big benefit, or at least being dependent on a database for everything is a big benefit. And just having like these simple JSON files makes it so much easier to have to do that. What do you typically use, uh, if you mind me asking, to build the static site? 
The iOS Dev Directory is a Jekyll site, and Jekyll is a Ruby static site generator. Are you just using GitHub Pages for that, then? Uh, I'm actually not using GitHub Pages for that. I'm using, have you heard of a service called Netlify? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like, they're the big ones when people tend to run out of features that they, they find GitHub Pages insufficient. I usually find people tend to go to Netlify. So that makes sense, yeah. Exactly. So GitHub Pages is lovely, but it does have some limitations. And as soon as you want to run, um, you know, real custom themes or anything like that, you, you kind of run out of steam fairly quickly with GitHub Pages, I've found. So whereas Netlify will take any Jekyll site that you can build and post it for you. Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. So one thing you mentioned is that it get, gets rid of the problem like ownership of data, like not everybody's dependent on you for everything. Are there people using this data? Yeah, so of course, the actual Jekyll site that builds the directory is not open source. It could be, but it's not. And that's not, that's just something I didn't feel that it would be particularly beneficial for that to be open source. And so I kept that private. But the fact that the JSON file is open means that anyone can build stuff on top of that same data set. And quite recently, actually, a few projects that have taken that data file and use it to power a couple of other things. So uh, there's something called um, iosdevblogs.com, which takes that OPML file and feeds the RSS articles directly onto the web. So it's a scrolling list of basically the firehose of iOS developer content as, as people write it. And then there's another one called Swift News, which basically does the same thing. The iOS Dev Blogs is definitely based off the iOS Dev Directory JSON file because they actually say so in the header and they encourage people, if they'd like people to get their blog into this feed, then this is how you do it. The Swift News one, I believe it is, but I'm not 100% sure uh, that it is, but it, it's certainly, it's monitoring the same sets of feeds, so I kind of assumed that it was. But certainly, if it isn't, then it should be because that could be the definitive list of people who are blogging about iOS. And we'll have links to those in our show notes as well. Uh, definitely some very cool stuff being built around that. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we close out? No, I think that's uh, that's been a, a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on, Dave. I really appreciate it. It's good to hear your voice uh, outside of Slack. My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've spent a lot of time chatting over the last few weeks about this uh, validation script. So it's good to to finally uh, get to kind of meet you in person. Not even though it's not in person. In well, you can't you can't meet anybody in person <laughs> you right now. So you know right no. you're social distancing, right? Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're also several thousand miles away from each other, so that would also make it diff difficult. Yeah, I guess that's true. I hadn't thought about it that way. <laughs> Where can people find you online? Best place to start is my website, which is daveverwer.com. That's V-E-R-W-E-R. -E and from there, you can get a link to iOS Dev Weekly and iOS Dev Jobs and iOS Dev Directory and the survey and the package manager library and all the other things that I do. And on Twitter, again, I'm just Dave Verwer, uh, all on word uh, on Twitter. So that's probably the best place to, uh, to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been a, a very enjoyable conversation. 
Thank you again for listening to another episode of Empower App Show. If you could, please share me your thoughts online about this episode. What feedback do you have? What questions do you have about Swift packages and the iOS Dev Weekly and iOS Dev Directory? Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. And if you could please uh, post a review in iTunes, I would love to have that as well or whatever podcast app you are using. Again, you can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion and my company is at Bright Digit. Thanks again for joining me. I look forward to talking to you again.